let me, if you haven't already felt welcome, welcome you to Fountain Springs Church. Uh, if you need to know, which I think you should know, uh, we're not just one church in one place. And so, uh, in fact, uh, last week I got to be with the downtown location as the downtown location launched for its first official service in, in downtown Rapid City. It was awesome. Uh, but we got locations, hey, East, fellas at RCMU, if you're online, West. We've been talking about the Bible. <laughs> I know you're blown away by that. You're like, uh-huh. But, but we're talking about it in, in a different way, I think. And I think it's a way that, that many of us have been wishing that we would talk about it or that someone would bring it up. The Bible. This is, this is a paper one for those of you who use, use the digital version, which is fine. Uh, the Bible is broken up into six different movements. If you don't know the six different movements, you're likely to read the Bible this way. Well, here. And then we'll read it, and, and then we'll go, and I don't know what that means. If you've ever been there, I've been there, read the Bible, and you didn't know what it meant. Maybe it was because it was in Old English, and you're like, I don't talk that way. Does God talk Old English? All that? And many of us, the Bible is radically confusing. We wish we knew what it said or, or what its purpose was, its, its agenda in our lives. We wish we did. It would be meaningful if we knew it, but we don't. So as a church, it's very simple. Yes, we're talking about the Bible in the midst of church, right? But we're talking about why it's so significant. And if you get the six movements, you can use the Bible not as a confusion piece in your life, but it becomes an asset. It becomes something you can build a marriage off of. You can build your finances off. You can figure out what to do with your life and live your purpose out. If you can understand this, and I'm telling you, it's understandable. So uh, first week we talked about Creation. Creation is the first of the movements. It's the first page of the Bible. For those of you like, where is it? There you go. First page of the Bible. It's awesome. You can go read it within minutes. That's the first one. You got to know it. If you, if you missed it, go, go watch it or, or listen to it or ask somebody like, hey, what did we talk about creation? Because what you think we may have talked about, I think we talked about something different. Then the second movement, the fall. The fall, not not. Not the season, the fall. Like, like the collapse, the, the, the plot line. In fact, the fall, if you don't know this, the fall explains why the rest of the Bible even plays out the way it does. If you've ever read the Bible and you're like, why this seems weird, the fall begins to help us get a, a bit of a glimpse of what is playing out, even, listen, even in modern day today. But when we learn about the fall, what can seem intense. In fact, if you've never read the Bible, you probably have even heard about the fall. Um, I'll, I'll just read to you portions of it and it'll, it'll make sense. But the Lord God warned him. You're like, who's him? Adam. Adam and Eve. Got it? But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except Rule, there's a rule. Some of us are like, ah, it's no fun. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Yay. If you don't know the story, it's written out there. God makes paradise. He makes it absolutely perfect. It's amazing. Like, it's epic. And he says, hey, everybody. There's two. But, hey, um, there's just really, uh, ah, rule. Just one. There's a tree. 
don't eat from it. And you know exactly what happens when someone brings up the one thing that you should not do. It's probably they just stared at it for hours. Um, and then the story tells us that a, that a, uh, a really scary red plastic snake showed up. I know you're scared right now. If you know the story, or maybe you don't, uh, a snake shows up and talks. I know that's weird. Some of you, that's the first time you've ever heard that, and you're like, you just have to, that's not the point right now, is that there was a, a talking snake. It, it's, the snake began to say, hey, I'm not sure that's what God actually said. You can't eat from that tree. I'm not sure that's what he really meant, and try to confuse them, and the woman was convinced, for those of you who think this is sexist, that's not what this is saying. Some of you needed to hear that. The woman was convinced. She saw that the, the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. Probably like bacon. <laughs> I can't prove that. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Dun, 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 right? That's, if you're, if you're reading the Bible, I mean, it just plays this out. In fact, just in the first couple pages, you begin to, to read, you're like, like, God makes perfect, he makes paradise. It's absolutely amazing. But he says there's a rule, and they break the rule, and many of us think that this is the whole, this is the epicenter, this is the, the crux of all Christianity and, and church and, and religion is that, yeah, God makes rules, we break them, and we're supposed to feel bad about it. In fact, let me help. Show of hands. I don't care where you're at right now, show of hands. Who has ever at one moment believed that basically Christianity just felt like a bunch of rules that God gave us? Any, anyone? I'll, I'll raise my hand, okay? That's what I thought. A lot of us thought that that's what it was. It was a it was a, a way to control mankind, right? And can I take it further? Let me, let me take it further. God makes paradise. I mean, epic, right? Well, then why did God let evil be there? Sounds like a setup. I'd like to show you that it wasn't a setup. If you've ever wondered about the question, why does God let dangerous, crazy stuff happen, that you're like, if, if God loved me, then this wouldn't play out. If you've ever been there, which I've been there, this part of the Bible unfolds for us something so crucial. you got to get it. I hope you'll get it. So to help you understand that it, it wasn't a setup. This, this happened before the whole eating the fruit. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. If you just read that for the first time and you're like, what? Because you're starting like an English class. That's not accurate. God, and then we've got us. This is, this is in reference to the Trinity. I don't know what you believe about the Trinity. The Trinity is real. If you've ever heard God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we're like, where would you guys get that from? Well, this is one of the earliest mentions of it, the Trinity. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. If you're confused by it, welcome to the rest of the world. 
because you and I don't function that way. I think sometimes in church we have to admit that some things are left confusing where we don't fully grasp it. If you were to ever tell me I fully understand exactly how God can be three in one, I totally get it, it makes total sense, then you're at a place I'm not. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth. The small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. Don't miss that. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let, let me help you understand. When, when, when humans were made, they were image bearers of God. Let me help you. When you, read, when you read the creation account, you're going to read about animals being made and, and water and sky. None of it is attributed as having the image of God. But then God decides, okay, I'm going to take my image and I'm going to put my image on them. It's a big deal, having God's image. If you're not understanding what this fully means, you probably have watched some sort of sport at some moment where people have, like, where they've got a Nike emblem or an Adidas or Under Armour or whatever. The classic is NASCAR. You ever watch NASCAR? Some of you are like, no, why would I? Uh, I like NASCAR. Some of you think that's dumb, but whatever. I, I, I enjoy watching NASCAR. It's more than just driving in circles for those of you saying that right now in your head. You go in a circle at 200 miles an hour, and we'll see how that, okay, anyways, uh, but is it not cliche, right? Is it not cliche with NASCAR that, that they just have, like, branding endorsements all over them and their vehicles? In fact, my favorite, I don't care if you like NASCAR or anything, you, you know that you enjoy the moment where the reporter walks up, and like, hey, you know, what do you, what would you think about that, that first victory you've ever had in your career? And instead of saying, it was amazing, they start talking about Coca-Cola, or Ford, or, or, or whatever, and you're like, I mean, literally before they get to, like, it was epic, I just went so fast in circles, and won, and this is amazing, they're like, I just like the thing, and they go through lows, and, and whoa, just all these. We're, we're used to athletes being endorsed, right, bearing the image of someone who's giving them money, and there's an exchange, let that tell you something about when the Bible says that when God made us, when God made us, he gave us his image. If you're not connecting the dots, that means that while Adam and Eve were walking in the garden around, that whoever saw them, the animals and all that, they saw an image of God. Do not miss that part. That is a big deal. When, when they saw fish, they didn't see the image of God. But when they saw humans, the image of God, don't ever forget that. But, but that's not the only thing. God didn't just give us his image. He gave us authority. This is, I would tell you, life-defining. If you're going to live your life out on purpose with a major, major meaning, to live life out as your creator intended you, you need to know that he not only gave you his image, he offered his authority. I'll take you to where it says this. In the Bible, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. I thought about explaining that, but I think you're going to get that. So just we'll keep moving on. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it. I mean, that's a strong word. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
you may have known this, but you need to see this, that when you and I, we we have the image of God, but we also have this authority over the creatures, the animals, all we have authority over them. Then again, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. The original language even goes after this, like to to lead it, to to protect it, to go after this where, where we have authority. I'm not just trying to explain the Bible. I'm trying to explain your life. This is a huge deal. God created you and I to carry his image. Where anything that saw us would see the image of God, but also gave us authority. But then, but then, a snake shows up with a lie. I can tell you're scared, right? See, I knew we would have a problem at this moment. Oh, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done, John. I told you at the beginning that there was a snake, right? And you're not intimidated. I'm not intimidated. Until John walks up with that. Do you feel it? Do do you notice the change in the temperature in the room? Not literally. Oh, where's my mom? Where's my mom? I'm not sure that when we read the Bible, we read it for what it is. Do you notice that... uh, if, if someone walks up to you with a puppy, it's a different response. You're like, oh, so cute, puppies. Someone walks up with a snake, we're like, mmm. All right, um, I think we're good. You, you. I'm going to need a five minute intermission. When we read the Bible, sometimes we read it as though it's tame. And you need to know that this moment that this snake shows up, it is serious. It's not a plastic snake. And I think when when you've got Adam and Eve being tempted, I wonder how you've been dealing with temptation lately. I'm not staring at anyone or saying, oh, I know you've been tempted. We all get tempted. Do you see temptation as a, uh, as a toy or a threat? Because when we read the Bible, we got to read it for what it is, what really happened. This is not just some storybook full of good morals. There are parts of it that are scary. And sometimes as we begin to read it and talk about it, we're like, oh, it's no big deal. A little bit of temptation. It's, it's, I, don't, I don't care about it. No, temptation is tempting, Right? And we need to understand the connection. It's not a toy to mess around with. God God did not say creation was safe. Do you understand that? He said it was good. You remember that part? He said creation is good. It is good. It is really good. He did not say it is good and safe. And we live in a culture now who thinks safety is the best. God made paradise. And in the midst of paradise was danger. Let me help you explain that this has always existed. Let's talk about the sun. 
it's pretty. When it goes up and when it goes down. In South Dakota, we love nice, warm, sunny days. It's wonderful, isn't it? But you are aware in science class that if you were to fly to the sun, it'd be the last flight you ever took, right? It's, it's dangerous, but beautiful and necessary. Let's talk about the ocean. I love the ocean. I talk about the ocean all the time. I absolutely love the ocean. And the ocean is beautiful, and it's sometimes very serene. I love even just the smell, the sound of the waves. But we are aware that there are places and moments that the ocean is incredibly dangerous. And if you aren't paying attention and doing it right, then you actually could lose your life in the ocean. Or fire. I love a good campfire. Mm. But you don't have to have me unfold that fire can also be dangerous, right? See, I think our version of God and what went down in the Garden of Eden has become too tame. And it's allowed us to kind of buy into this idea that that we're just playing. Perhaps you've been the person who would say you've done something that you shouldn't have done, right? It's called sin. And and you're like, well, everyone, everyone sins. It's, it's, It's no big deal, right? I've been there, okay, so if you're not willing to admit it, I will, that there have been times in my life where I've sinned, I've, I've, I've done something I shouldn't have, and like, well, I mean, I've seen other people do this, it's no biggie. And then you, and you press this all into the, the creation story, and you've got God, this loving God, right? We talk about how, how much God loves us, God loves us, God loves us, he makes Adam and Eve this paradise, it's perfect, it's epic, and then, and then the snake shows up, dangerous, evil, snake. And it seems at first glance that God just set them up, right? I don't know if you're willing to admit this. As a pastor, I'll admit it, where at first glance you look at the story and it seems like God is constantly setting you and I up. Why doesn't he just get rid of all evil and bad and let us live in paradise where there is none of that? It's super safe. No, 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 no. The showdown was an opportunity, not a setup. And you've got to get this. This is crucial. This is so crucial. That God was not setting up Adam and Eve and setting you and I up. No, 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 no. Let me remind you, because you need to know. God specifically told them twice and then had Adam even name the animals. But he told them twice. You have authority over all the animals. I'm going to say this again. You have authority over all the animals. You have authority over all the animals. Not only that, I'm going to have you name this particular animal. So then I'm telling you, God was actually creating an opportunity that when an animal showed up, I know most of us are like, it's the devil, but it, it looked like an animal. They should have gone, I have authority over you. I'm your boss. But many of us are not doing that right now. Mm -mm. So let me help you walk this into your your life. This is a big deal. When you're tempted, you have an opportunity to put evil in its place. If you want to know why this is articulated at the beginning of the Bible, it's because it's so crucial to the rest of the Bible. It's better, it's crucial to your life. That when you're faced with temptation, if you're telling yourself or those around you, well, everyone gives in. It's no big deal. It's a huge deal. You have authority and the image of God. And evil is aware of it. Why is this stuff in the Bible? Is it just for religion or Sunday school class? No. Because you're supposed to be living in authority. 
You're supposed to be living as though you carry the image of God. But many of us are living in what's called sin, which is we've given into the temptation. We're doing things and saying things that we should never do that are opposite of what God wants. And we're saying, no biggie, no biggie, no biggie. I read a definition that talked a little bit about sin in a unique way. I wanted to bring it up. Sin is a choice to embrace an inferior existence. That's what Adam and Eve did. I mean, God said, hey, uh, here's paradise. Just don't eat from that tree, and you're good. They decided to not live in the authority God had given them. Which is what many of us, when you find yourself in this moment of going, how did I get here? Why did I decide to do that? You chose this lesser, inferior existence of what God wanted you to do. The Bible talks about how Jesus wants us to have this fulfilled life. Not a pain-free life, not a perfect life, but a fulfilled life. You're like, how do I get there? Don't choose the inferior existence. Don't buy the lies of the devil. The Bible is amazing if you know how to read it. There are six movements. The second one is the fall. And many of us for generation after generation have read it as the fall. And we thought, oh, that's when the problem happened. That's when the problem happened. And we forgot to realize, wait a minute, that didn't have to happen. Do you understand that God warned them by giving them the authority going, hey, you're about to encounter. It was not a setup. He's like, I'm going to prep you for this moment because God knows everything. And God knew that an animal would show up. And he knew all. He's like, I'm going to prep you. I'm going to prep you. I'm going to prep you. And you're going to be so ready to put it in its place. Every time you and I face temptation is an opportunity to tell evil to shove it. To have victory over it. To live in that victory. It's a fascinating thing that plays out in the midst of this because perhaps you're thinking, oh, I, I know what this sermon is. Is Yeah, pastor brings up sin and, and we're supposed to kind of live in that. I feel bad, so because I feel bad, I'm going to start doing good. I want to take you back into the story. Maybe you've never read this part. Uh, now, the man and his wife were both naked, or from the south, naked. Uh, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. This is important. This is important, okay? They, they were naked. Get over the visualization. But they had no shame, okay? They were, they were walking around the garden. They had no shame, no shame, no shame. Then they sinned. Then they did the opposite of what God said to do, okay? At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they were suddenly, hmm, they suddenly felt shame. At their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Perhaps you've been there before. Where you've made a decision. And it went against what you knew was best. And you felt shame. Perhaps some of you are there right now. Where you, you feel like you're even living in shame. You've got lies that you've been withholding. You've betrayed or you've done something that you shouldn't have. And you feel this shame. Maybe it's in your past and you think, I can never get beyond my past. Maybe, maybe relationships ended because of what you did. Maybe you lost things or people because of what you did. And there's this shame. And many times we even associate that with church and God and religion. And we're like, yeah, a good place to go feel shame, go to church someday. And they'll really make you feel it. 
I think, I think it's crucial you understand that even though you have felt shame, as have I, okay, you need to know God's response to this moment where they actually did not live in his authority, bearing his image, doing it well, kind of throwing it all away, and his response to it is powerful. Here's what God did. Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. No lightning bolts from the sky. No screaming and yelling and how dare you ruin what I made. I hate you. No, you have to leave this church. You can't ever come back to this church. God's response to them was he was aware that they were feeling shame because of their nakedness, so he gave them clothes. But he didn't just give them clothes. Garments of skin. It meant, if you're not tracking, that God killed an animal. God sacrificed an animal because of the sin that occurred and got them clothes. It's why you'll often hear in church, you'll read it through the Bible, that sin doesn't just get like swept under the rug, right? Sin has to be paid for by death, sacrifice. And if you want to know where that all began, God loves you. God doesn't hate you. If you've ever felt shame, if you've ever landed at a place where you're like, I did this, it's my fault, or we did this, it's our fault, and you're like, oh, no, I can't go to church anymore, I can't talk to God anymore, I got to, no. Look what God, God met them and dealt with their shame, addressed their shame. God loves you so much. This is not in the Bible to make you and I just feel horrible. It's to show us that God not only made us, but he loves us, and you can't, you can't take his love away. I wonder if you've been living in authority over evil. When you face evil, when you go against temptation, have you been looking at temptation saying, I'm your boss? If you go to what's called the New Testament, just so you know, you still have this authority. It wasn't just for Adam and Eve. For everyone has sinned. That's where you start. If you're like, where do I start with all this? Just admit that you've sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through sacrifice. We'll talk more. We have a whole week all about Jesus. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. If you want to know why churches are really big on Jesus, make sure you're here for the series. There's another place I want to show you in, in, in Romans. Sin is no longer your master. Perhaps some of you have not believed that or lived that way. You've lived as though sin is what has authority over you. No, no, it doesn't. Once you start to, when you believe that Jesus saves you, that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is our Savior, you have authority. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You live under the freedom of God's grace. Would you like to live under the freedom of God's grace? Sign me up, both hands, please. The freedom of God's grace. I don't know what you've been taught in church. 
Or maybe you haven't been taught anything about this. Perhaps you just think that, that's a license to do whatever you want. No, you can keep reading. It talks about that's not a license to do whatever you want. That's freedom to not have to do whatever you crave. We live in a world now that says, if you crave it, go for it. That's another lie from the devil. I want to bring this sermon to a close, giving anyone who wants an opportunity, an opportunity to accept God's grace. I don't know where you are right now spiritually. I don't know if you love God, think about God in in ways that are regular or... But if you would let God speak to you right now, would you just, just look at me? If you would let God speak to you right now, whatever you've believed up to this point, I don't think is as important as what you choose to believe now. Do you want God's grace? Do you believe that God loves you, that he made you, and he wants to be in a relationship with you, and he's already made efforts to cover your sin? It doesn't begin with you declaring, I'm going to be perfect now. I'm going to be awesome. I will never mess up. It's saying, nope, pretty much all that's going to play out. I need God's grace. Christians are not perfect people. We just believe in God's grace. And we need it. So would you do this? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? just want to give you some private time. I want to give you a moment to talk to God. This is not a moment to invite religion into your life. This is not a moment to try to be better. This is a moment that if you'd like to ask God to pour his grace on you. So if you don't have the words to say to him, you're like, I don't know how to begin this. Then you just quietly, privately, he'll hear your thoughts. Speak this to him. God, I need your grace. I want your grace. God, I have chosen up a lesser existence. But I'm going to stop that now. God, would you shower me with forgiveness and mercy and grace? God, would you get the shame out of my mind and my heart? God, would you fill my soul with you? I decide today to follow you, to be all about you. I'm yours now, God, and I accept your grace. I am forgiven. I have your authority. I have your image. God, would you help us all as fountain springers to own this stuff. Help us to live it out with freedom. God, for anyone who has ever experienced shame, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring them to a church, whatever church that is, and let them experience your grace and your mercy. God, help us to be a church. There's a group of people that leads with grace and mercy. Thank you for saving us. 
Help us, Lord, as we walk this out every single day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.